0: Hi, everybody, and welcome. Happy Christmas to you. Merry Christmas 2020. So glad that you're with us here at Mosaic. Whether it's been a great year, or it's been a tough year, or it's been kind of a year in between, we're just glad that you're here with us tonight. Whether it's your first time, or you've been with us a short time, or you've been here a long time at Mosaic, we're glad. You're here with us tonight, and even if someone sort of strong-armed you and made you, and made you watch tonight, we're just glad you're here with us, and uh, hopefully by the time you get to the end tonight, you will be too. So let's get into our passage, our story. It's a familiar one. It's a famous one. I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to come back and talk about it. You can follow along here on your screen. It's from Luke chapter 2. "'While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, "'and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. "'She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger "'because there was no guest room available for them. "'And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, "'keeping watch over their flocks at night.' an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests." Yeah, and so what you just heard read to you there is a familiar story. It's a famous story, of course, and because it's so famous and because it's so familiar, I think that for a lot of us, it just sort of blends in with the rest of Christmas. Kind of like, you know, with your cocoa and your cookies or with your, your tree or your tradition. For a lot of us, that story is just sort of pretty. But for others, you know, that story isn't pretty, that story is problematic. It's problematic in that it raises a lot of questions. And, and maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you've got questions about the story like this. You've got questions about the who's in this story. Like, like Mary and Joseph. Like, are we sure they're real? Or you have questions about the how's. Like, how did Mary get pregnant exactly? You've got questions about the what's. Like, what are angels anyway? You got questions about the wins, like when exactly is this supposed to take place? Because Morgan, you know, that, that, that guy Quirinius, he's caused a lot of problems for people over the years with all the dating and the history and all that stuff accurately. You know, again, for a lot of us, this story isn't pretty, it's problematic. Uh, but there's one more question that I think we should ask about this story, the, the Christmas story, and it's not a what if it's true question. By the way, you should know that not only do I believe it's true, I think you should believe it's true also. And so does the person who wrote all of this, someone by the name of Luke, who began the whole story back in chapter 1 by telling you that he went and interviewed all the eyewitnesses who were there so that you could have, here's his word, certainty about what you're reading is true so that you could know, again, that it's true for sure and that you should know that every point along the way where sort of like Luke has been questioned, Luke has come out on top with dates, locations, history, that Quirinius guy, all that. Luke has been acknowledged by even secular historians as, and here's the word, as a first-rate historian. But when I ask you another question tonight about this story, in addition to all the questions that you may have with this story, and it's not a a who question or a what question or a when or a how question, although those are important questions too. My question is a different kind of question altogether, and it sits at the intersection of two other kind of things, at the intersection of a why and a want, a why and a want. And here's my question why should anyone want this to be true? Like, should we even want this to be true? Why should anyone want this to be true? And the reason I'm asking this in the form of a question is this, and I'm going to lay all my cards out on the table here tonight. I think that even if you're not a Christian, even if you've decided to not believe this, and if that's you, again, please don't hear any condemnation from me because I'll tell you, I realize that if I had seen the things you've seen, if I've read the things that you've read, if I'd experienced what you've experienced, then I would have decided what you've decided. But but I think again, even if you've decided not to believe that you should still at least want this story to be true. But but don't go here any Christian wish fulfillment in that statement, okay? Like how a lot of us feel about certain cookie eating, chimney dwelling, large men, from places so cold, even COVID can't get there. You know, like the story just sounds so nice. We just want to be to be true. No, don't hear any wish fulfillment in this. Don't hear wish fulfillment. But what I do want you to hear is a kind of a heart longing. The longing of a heart for a world... That's supposed to be a certain way. The longing of every human heart for the way things ought to be. So I want you to do this tonight, even if this is hard for you here, just for the next few minutes, to sort of pull up that internal smartphone, dial that thing up, and ring a heart longing, a longing for the way things ought to be, for the world that we all want to be true. Because I think, I think if you were honest, if we were all honest, and here's what we're gonna look at for just a few more minutes. I think that this story, the Christmas story, shows us the kind of world, especially in 2020, that we not only want to be true, but it shows us the kind of world that Jesus of Nazareth has come to make true so with all that in mind i want to make the case for why even if you don't believe it for why you should at least want christmas to be true so here we go i'm going to give you now seven reasons we're going to go through these real quick seven reasons why you should want christmas to be true here we go again i'm going to count down seven to one christmas means this start off with number seven it means that the smallest are the greatest the smallest are the greatest like look at this story who's it not about it's not about the person that was in there real quick named caesar augustus Uh, he bragged about himself he he called himself the son of a god because his father julius caesar was known as as a god Uh, caesar augustus ruled the roman empire but but let's just face it most of us really only know who this guy is because he appears in this story where he has been reduced to a parenthetical footnote in the lives of a poor Jewish family, of a carpenter, his disgraced wife and their baby. This story is not about the greatest, but about the smallest In J.R. Tolkien's myth cycle, you may have read it or watched it, called The Lord of the Rings, of course. At the very end of the the whole deal, after all the battles have been fought, uh, evil's been defeated, and the king has returned. His name is, is Aragorn. Do you know what the first thing that the king does when he returns is? The king gathers all the people before him. And he honors not the soldiers, but the smallest creatures in the story, the ones known as hobbits, named Frodo and Sam, for all their unseen bravery, for all their sacrifice, without whom the victory would not have been possible. And this is how it goes in the book itself. It says then, quote, and then to Sam's surprise and utter confusion, the king bowed his knee before them and taking them by the hand, Frodo upon his right, same upon his left he led them to the throne and setting them upon it he turned to the men and captains who stood by and spoke so that his voice rang over all the hosts crying praise them with great praise and all the hosts laughed and wept until their hearts overflowed and their joy was like swords and they passed in thought out to regions where pain and delight flow together and tears are the very wine of blessedness. So don't you want that to be true? To be true that, that braggadocious, self serving, stay in power at all costs leaders like Caesar Augustus are out. And the ones like the smallest, bravest, noblest creatures are in and honored and seen for who they are. Yeah, Christmas means that is true. Number six, though, it also means that the light is greater than the darkness. The light is greater than the darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to hold water in your hand. What happens if you have or that you do? What happens? Well, your hand can't grasp the water. Your hands, they can't deal with what the water is. You may be able to kind of sort of hold it in there for just a couple of moments. But in the end, that moment won't last. What happens? Well, water in the end slips through your fingers. You can't overcome that fact because water is what it is Now, one of the first people who followed Jesus at all in the world, his name was John. John wrote an account of the life of Jesus, and he said this about what the arrival of Jesus at Christmas means. John 1 verse four. He says, "In him Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." John is saying in his own way, that the true light of Jesus is what it is. It's so pure, it's so bright that darkness itself can't grasp it. Like if darkness were to try to hold that light in its hand, it couldn't do it. The light just slips through. It goes right on out into the world. And John is saying that is what the light of Jesus means. That with the coming of Jesus into the world means it means that light slipped through the darkness. And the darkness can't grasp it, can't deal with it, can't overcome it. Number five, Christmas means that pain, pain is redeemed. Now, my wife and I were talking recently about this passage and she said what I'm sure a whole host of women have said over the centuries about this, which is that this, she said, I'm pretty sure, just like that, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have wanted to be married, you know, nine months pregnant, riding that donkey, all the way on that road back to that town where those in-laws didn't want me in the first place. I'm sure she's right, but but here's my question. Do you know, do you know what all of Mary's pain, her physical and relational pain brought into the world? Here's the word, it's redemption. It's redemption. Uh, Mary's pain, Mary's pushing, Mary's crying weren't meaningless. And I'm going to tell you this in the same way. All of your crying this year, all of you who have cried out for a better world, a more just world, especially especially on behalf, many of us on people of color in this nation, I want to tell you it's not pointless. It is redemptive. But just like giving birth to a baby, you don't see all the effects at once. Like that baby in Mary's arms, our cries... And our labor take time to grow. Mary's labor shows you that pain isn't pointless. No, no, no. The divine is birthed right in the middle of it. Number four. four, Christmas means creation made whole. It means creation made whole. Now listen, when you you consider uh, our current pandemic, I hope you'll see this one like you would see every other pandemic, global pandemic in history as a sign that this world is beautiful, but broken. Beautiful, but broken. We see beauty in things like, like stars and, and sunsets and oceans. Oh, but we get mouthfuls of glass and brokenness through things like hurricanes and plagues. But, but, but for centuries before the arrival of Jesus, the, the Jewish prophets had made the claim about what the world that the Messiah was gonna bring would one day look like. It was one that would look like a place where people in creation were reconciled, where they coexisted peacefully, where the the natural order of things worked rightly, where creation was at peace. And what do you see this first night of the Messiah's life? You see Jesus where? In a manger. It's a word that means an animal stall. And by the way, this is something that only someone who was there that night could have known. Just one more piece of evidence to Luke. Interviewed, an eyewitness, his mother Mary. But we see Jesus where? In an animal stall, sleeping with sheep, goats, cattle. We see the king who has come to reclaim and touch his creation, to reconnect with every creature, to fulfill what the prophets sang about when they said that when the king returned, like like trees would clap and rocks would clap and sing and animals would lay down in peace. People, what does that song sing, huh? Songs say that we sing. That he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, right? See, Christmas means creation made whole. Number three, Christmas means humanity lowered lowered now give me a chance with this one give me a chance with this one uh, when, when those angels back in the story right when they sang to those shepherds when they sang that bit about unto you as in you all as in come on as in y'all when the baby's born to y'all it's actually a kind of an insult it's God's way of saying you all can't save yourself I'm having to give you some help from the outside. But again, before you react and say, well, whoa, well, whoa, well, why not? Why can't everyone just save themselves how they want? Why can't they just live how they want and God be okay with that? Well, let me ask you this, thinking that. Are we okay, are we really okay with people saying things like greed, murder, corruption, child trafficking are okay? That they're just ways we just express who we really are. Those things are just our identity. We should just be okay with that. Listen, I think that most of us would probably, all of us would say, no, we're not okay with that. So then, it's not God who says that people aren't okay as they are, it's actually the human race who acknowledges we are not okay just as we are. And so if you'd agree that there's at least one thing that is morally wrong at all times for all peoples or one thing wrong with humanity, then you actually now have far more in common with the Christian faith than you might think. Because because the coming of Jesus just, just confirms what we all know is true at least about others and that we wish others would acknowledge about themselves even if we don't want to acknowledge it about ourselves. It shows us that humans aren't fine just as they are. They need help, saving, rescue from the outside. See, the coming of Jesus lowers us. And yet at the same time, number two, Christmas also means humanity lifted, not just lowered, but lifted. You've ever seen Man of La Mancha? It's the stage version of of Cervantes' classic Spanish novel, Don Quixote. Then you know that that the character, Don Quixote, he's he's a madman who thinks he's a knight, and and he's bent on rescuing the world. And in the story, the play, he comes to an inn, uh, and there's a prostitute working in the kitchen there. Her name is Aldonza. And Don Quixote begins to call out to her. He begins to woo her heart. He begins to sing to her. He calls her his dulcinea, his his sweet one, his lovely one, even when she isn't. And and at first, she's a little bit amused by this. Then she starts to get angry with this because she knows if he's right and if it's true, then she's got to leave her old life. She's got to change. And, And in the end, though, she is finally transformed by his song, and by his love. And when the people around Don Quixote, when they tell him that he's he's mad, he's crazy for seeing her like that, this is what he sings back to them. It's a famous line. He says this, sings this, maddest of all to see the world as it is and not as it ought to be maddest of all to see the world as it is and not as it ought to be and I want to tell you tonight this in a way in his own way is who Jesus was born to be the madman who comes into our world and sees us as who we ought to be and then woos us with his love his better story his better version of who we're supposed to be see the gospel the gospel that's a Christian word it means good news it says this that yes Humans are so bad that Jesus had to die, but that we are worth so much to God that Jesus was glad to die. Which means now, all of this means now, and that means now, in the end, one final thing. It means above all, number one, Christmas means that grace is true. Grace is true. Grace is getting what you want the most, when you need it the most, when you deserve it the least. Grace is what you get uh, when your coworker or your friend found out you were talking badly about them and they just forgave you. They forgot all about it. Grace is what you get when he took that thing back after the expiration date or the coupon expired and those folks in the store, those nice folks, they just took it back though. They, though you had no right to expect it. And then grace is what you get when, when you may go to your child. Those of you who are parents and you apologize for yelling at your child and your your child just says, mommy, it's okay, daddy, it's okay. See, in each case, you, you got what you wanted the most. When you needed it the most, when you deserved it the least. Oh, but here's why grace is so amazing because to really get grace, you have to be given grace by a real person grace is always a personal experience between two parties two people grace can't just be conceptual like a like a nice idea grace real grace really getting what you want the most when you need it the most when you deserve it the least always has to come from one person to another from someone else to you and so if it's true And it is that we need saving, that we cannot save ourselves. Then we need not only grace, but the grace of God. And the grace of God for us must become personal. And here's why I know this is what we all really long for down deep. It's because of this. It's because even though we may not want to give it, we all want to receive it. We don't want to give it. We don't want to hand it out. We don't. I don't want to extend it when we're wrong. But we want it even when we don't deserve it. And that counterintuitive truth right there is where you and I can see all the way to the bottom of the Christian message, which is this. Although we can't bring ourselves to give away the thing we want the most, God has, and God does. First John 4:10 says this: "In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son." And grace is the reason. After all this is why I not only believe that grace is true, but grace is the reason I want it to be true. And grace is the reason why I wonder why everyone doesn't at least want it to be true because only Christmas says that grace became personal. And here's why, here's why. Finally, this is important for you today, for this Christmas. This is important because this means Don't you hear me? That Christianity didn't begin with theology, uh, with the church even, with who's in or who's out or with uh, any of that. Christianity isn't about, at its very center, about a group that's hurt you or a pastor that's wronged you or that person on television that you you think is a fake. No, Christianity is about not a system that exploits you, but about a person who loves you. And if it's true that there is a way then for the most powerful, the most beautiful, the most just and loving being to love you despite you, wouldn't you at least want that to be true? Yeah, Christmas means that it is. Christmas means that Jesus came and would one day die for you and for you, for you, for you. And where meek souls receive him still, the hymn says, the dear Christ enters in. Let me pray for you and take just a moment and maybe even the dear Christ will enter into your life through an experience and encounter of grace right now. Lord Jesus we come to you and I pray for all who are listening to this and watching this tonight each of us would have maybe in a new way maybe for the first time a real encounter with you, your grace keeps coming Keeps coming, keeps coming. Maybe after all these years, maybe as a child, we're hearing this, adult, we're hearing this. Well, we just let go and let you come in right now and be who you are. Save us and change us. Pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, Please visit us online at www.MosaicChurchAustin.com or download our app from your app store.